In the rapidly changing world, healthcare needs are constantly evolving and clinicians need to find new ways to deliver care. And often the best way to do that is by looking back. Without Marie Curie, there would be no pioneering improvements to medical imaging today. If Edward Jenner didn't inoculate a 13-year-old with cowpox, there wouldn't even be a space for Professor Ian Fraser's cervical cancer vaccine. Our clinicians are standing on the shoulders of those who came before them, learning, growing and advancing. Hindsight isn't 2020. It's our future. We know that the success of our healthcare system is thanks to the hardworking people on the front lines and behind the scenes to ensure that Queenslanders receive the best care possible. With that in mind, we wanted Showcase 2020 to shine a light on the people and services that are unleashing their potential, changing the way care is delivered and improving outcomes. The statewide anaesthesia and perioperative care clinical network saw a gap in training for rural and remote teams, leading to the development of the innovative Rural Perioperative Team Training Program. The two-day program is delivered to the entire team, improving communication and culture, and supporting the sustainable delivery of care in their communities. Metro-North's Chris Stanell shares their journey. Christopher Stonell, I'm from the Prince Charles Hospital, and I'm going to be talking to you about the Rural Perioperative Team Training Program. So rural hospitals cover a vast area in Queensland, and a lot of the remote hospitals serve populations of approximately 2,000 people or more, but are required to provide comprehensive services under the capability service framework, sort of level two and three services, providing acute medical, surgical, emergency, obstetric care, as well as a range of other primary, ambulatory, aged care and community services. It still remains a sad fact that Australians living in remote and rural areas have poor access to health care, they have a higher disease burden, they experience injuries and trauma more often, or on average have a shorter lifespan compared to their counterparts living in the metropolitan areas. Delivering sustainable health care in rural Queensland is very challenging, and generally speaking, rural and remote hospitals are serviced by visiting medical officers and remote area nurses, so there's a lot of transient staff that move through Anesthesia in particular, which is my interest, is often provided by general practitioner anaesthetists. And they may be working alone, in isolation, in a remote environment, with no backup, being supported by staff who are not familiar with the environment that they're working in. Nurses in these locations tend to be, or need to be, generalists. They work across a range of areas, including medical and surgical areas and all staff experience the problem of limited access or in some cases no access to ongoing training. So historically ongoing education has been delivered off-site, usually in a metropolitan or a regional centre, delivered 
by craft groups and within craft groups. There's been a recent trend towards online education, which does open up education for rural and remote areas, uh, but comes with its own problems. And training generally focuses on knowledge acquisition, uh, sometimes on skill acquisition, but very infrequently on non-technical skills. Non-technical skills being the skills of how to go about doing the things that you know how to do. The problems the rural areas encounter is off-site training takes people off-site, they have to take leave. There's often quite a bit of travel involved, uh, which makes attending a course for a day or two quite burdensome, burdensome if you have to travel for one or two days to get into a metropolitan area to attend a course for a few days and then travel one or two days to get home again. The courses are often in an unfamiliar environment and aimed at, not well, not aimed at rural and remote practitioners in particular. Craft groups, nurses tend to train for nurses, anaesthetists offer courses for anaesthetists, surgeons offer courses for surgeons, but when they get back to work, they have to go back to work as a team and work together. And that translating the learning in silos to working in a team is often difficult to, to achieve. Online education has similar problems to craft groups, uh, people learning at home in isolation, having to take knowledge back to work and then integrate it into work in their work teams. And why is the talk about teams important and non-technical skills important? Well, the patient safety movement has recognised now for quite a while that a lot of the errors that occur in healthcare are attributable to failures in non-technical skills, particularly in communication. Almost 70% of errors or adverse incidents can be attributed to failures in communication at some stage. And uh, there's also more recently been shown direct links between high team performance and clinical patient outcomes. Um, and so being able to get teams to work together has been quite a challenge. So the Rural Perioperative Team Training Program is a multifaceted, multidisciplinary team training program. It includes technical skills, but also the focus is really on non-technical skills, communication and teamwork within the perioperative teams. It's delivered on-site in the rural hospital, and it's been designed to improve patient safety, patient outcomes, team performance, a better understanding within the team of roles and responsibilities of members of the team, and in so doing, improve team communication, team culture, staff satisfaction, and staff retention, and delivery of high-quality health care to the patient. It's delivered using a state-of-the-art mannequin, which is transported by the Clinical Skills Development Centre in Hurston and set up in an operating theatre at the facility that we will be delivering the course at. There's also audio-visual equipment that's set up within the room and that's broadcast out into a, an outside area so that other participants, not every participant, can participate in every scenario, but the people not participating can view what's going on. At the end of each scenario, a debrief session is held, and this is where really the sharing and learning all occurs, and people involved in the scenario can come out with new ideas, 
develop new practices and find things that they want to improve and come up with ideas of how to do that. The project was developed by first establishing the faculty and we had volunteers from the SwapNet group with simulation experience who came forward. And we developed the program by surveying the rural and remote areas and asking what it was that they were concerned about. What did they want to know? What is the sort of things that kept them up at night? And then we developed a series of scenarios uh, and packages around those topics for them. Asked for uh, expressions of interest for sites to be visited and then started travelling out to deliver the training at each hospital. At the end of the course, uh, everyone that's participated completes an evaluation, which we get the feedback from and use that to inform and develop the course. And part of the sustainability is to leave coursework with each site and start upskilling people on site to be able to participate more in the running of the scenarios so it becomes hopefully gradually less onerous over time. The faculty consists of 23 members of staff. There are anaesthetists, surgeons, perioperative nurses, nurse educators, a midwifery educator. And they all volunteered their time in 2019 to visit 18 rural hospitals to develop the program over 12 months. Each time the faculty goes out, there will be three or four members of the faculty. It's always an anaesthetist, a surgeon, uh, and a perioperative nurse. They're accompanied by a simulation coordinator from CSDS who runs the technical side, makes sure the mannequins work and, and do what we need them to do. And Karen Hamilton, the SwapNet project coordinator for us, also travels with us and completes the administration side of the training days. These are the examples of the, the topics that they chose to talk about uh, and chose to receive training in. Uh, the bold ones we call the core scenarios, those things which uh, were almost universally problems or areas of concern at the hospitals that they all wanted training in, and the not bold <coughs> topics are topics which some areas wanted, some areas didn't. And we asked the hospitals to choose six topics which they want to receive training in. So. The course is tailored to each individual hospital. Not everyone gets the same. There's a list of the hospitals that we travelled to in 2019, all the way from Kingaroy to Thursday Island and back. And the Healthcare Improvement Unit has supported the deliveries during 2019 for travel and accommodation costs. But as I've mentioned, the faculty volunteered their time. They've agreed to continue funding for us for 2020 and we'll be visiting another 10 hospitals during 2020. The evaluation and the feedback we've received has been universally positive and uh, the experience has been that people are just incredibly grateful that someone's taken the time to travel out to them to give them, well, really just to spend time with them and uh, try and give them some education and training. All the attendants participants receive certificates. We've now issued over 500 certificates to people who have attended the course. At the end of each course we provide the site with a course report and in the report that includes ideas that they've come up with of processes that didn't quite work the way they wanted them to or skills that they didn't have uh, or things they wanted to improve about their working environment. And these are all ideas that are generated from within the group. It's not things that we tell them, but they tell us, and we record them. 
we provide them with that report and then we regularly receive emails throughout the year of people updating us saying we've managed to do this, we've managed to do that, we've changed something else. So we, we also get indirect feedback like that. We've received a number of letters of thanks from directors and of departments and medical directors, which have generally been all very positive. Uh, and we've had one very touching story from a director of a rural site, and we had only visited there about a month before, and she wrote to us and said, the other day we received a call at seven o'clock from a lady, about a lady who'd been stabbed in the chest. Uh, she was in the emergency department and the initial chest drain had just drained three litres of blood within a few minutes. A second anaesthetist and I were called in and we arrived as the surgeon was opening the chest. Blood was pouring out. We eventually measured another four litres of blood loss with more on the drapes and on the floor. We had two emergency department nurses running the rapid fluid infuser. The team was really cohesive. It was fantastic and it showed the value of the training we received in October and November. Our surgeon was assisted by the emergency department director and they did a great job controlling the bleeding from the lung. Ultimately, the patient was found to be bleeding from a lung laceration, which had hit a big artery and two arterial bleeds in the muscle. We had good communication in theatre and with the blood bank who was cleared out of products. We did regular summary and recaps with the surgeons, and although we couldn't isolate the lung, we negotiated pauses so they could have a better look. She ended up having 30 units of blood, 17 units of products and cryoprecipitate. We ended with nearly normal coagulation. Her platelet count we couldn't do anything about until the retrieval team arrived from the nearest regional center. She was repatriated out, and I'm pleased to say she survived. She's been back to us for rehab and has recently been discharged home. This was a great outcome for her and a fantastic to see our team in action during a really stressful case. I'd like to thank you and your team for getting us prepared for just such an emergency. A pat on the back to you all for contributing to this great outcome too. That's a, a very poignant story and I'm sure Chris you'd agree that would be a difficult case to manage in a metropolitan centre and these wires, these are GP anaesthetists managing it hours away from anywhere. Thank you very much. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast and taking the time to learn about the wonderful work of Queensland's frontline clinicians. To continue the conversation, head on over to Facebook and let us know of any pockets of excellence you think deserve to be showcased. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Clinical Excellence Queensland.